This is, uh, this is kind of embarrassing, but there's no toilet paper over here. Are you talking to me? Yeah, I, I just forgot to check, so if you could spare some. No, I'm sorry. What? No, I'm sorry, I can't spare it. You can't spare it? No, there's not enough to spare. Well, well, I don't need much. Just three squares will do it. I'm sorry, I don't have three squares. Now, if you don't mind. Three squares? You can't spare three squares? No, I don't have a square to spare. I can't spare a square. <laughs> well, is it two ply? Because if it's two ply, I'll take one ply. One ply. One puny little ply. I'll take one measly ply. Look, I don't have a square, and I don't have a ply. No, 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 don't go. I beg you. Good morning. My name is Andrea Smith, and I'm so glad that you have chosen to spend your Sunday morning here at West. Whether you are here in person or whether you're worshiping with us online, we extend a very special and warm welcome to you. I want to get just a few housekeeping things out of the way. So, like the next 13 days are our version of Christmas. Uh, we do this thing, we sponsor this thing through a nonprofit called Inspire Our Children called the Back to School Bash. And in 13 days at Mooresville Middle School, uh, we have about 1,500 students that have registered, and we anticipate around 4,000 people being at Mooresville Middle School receiving free school supplies, a free meal. There's lots of entertainment. There's going to be animals there and games, and uh, they get a free pair of tennis shoes. If they register for the tennis shoes, we wash their feet. We offer a prayer if they are interested. And this, like, started seven, eight years ago. And it has just grown tremendously, and it involves all kinds of area businesses and other churches, which is what we think is, is so cool about it. And also, so many of the people that come to the bash also volunteer and serve at the bash. So it's grown from being like a Williamson's Chapel West kind of thing to being a true community event. But West, you spearhead it, and you lead it through this nonprofit. And so next Sunday... <clears throat> I have allergies, so I really apologize for that. Next Sunday, instead of just worshiping here at, uh, where are we? Lake Norman High School. I, I'm sorry, I'm on drugs, like good drugs, like legit Dayquil, okay? So sorry, I'm not on illegal substances, but I am on like Dayquil and lots of allergy things. So anyway, next Sunday, we're going to gather here at 10 a.m. or we want you to gather, and this is why I was confused, at 10 a.m. at Mooresville Middle School, not Mooresville High School, but Mooresville Middle School. We are going to have two separate worship experiences. Worship is going to be live streamed over at the middle school, and we're going to worship for about 30 minutes together. And then what's going to happen after that is we're going to have a true West No Huddles Day. So if you're here, you are going to help get some things ready for Bash. But what we really would love to have happen is most, if not all, of us head on over to Mooresville Middle next Sunday at 10 a.m. and worship there. And you're going to get some emails about that this week. So if you don't get West emails, now would be the time to sign up for those that are VIP tent out front. If you're new to West, uh, the next couple of weeks are just going to be different. 
different. We believe in what the message is gonna be about today called the scarcity effect. Uh, we believe in investing what we have in, in places and in people beyond us. That's why we worship in a high school. It's why we don't have a big fancy church building. We take the resources that God has given us and we invest them in other people. Every Sunday morning, we feed over 200 people in conjunction with Faith and St. Paul United Methodist Church with our food trucks. So uh, that's what we're gonna talk about today. But next Sunday... I really would invite you to meet us at Mooresville Middle School and be a part of that No Huddles Day experience. Now, we are finishing up a message series called Comparison Trap. I want you to clap if you have any kind of social media account. Will you clap? Okay, just so I know who we're talking to, clap if you don't have anything. Not LinkedIn, not Instagram. Yeah, I saw that. You know, some of you are, yeah. Uh, LinkedIn, you don't have anything. All right, good for you. All right, Dave. Very good. So uh, we're going to talk about this thing called OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. And it's sort of like this culture that social media has created in our society. We end up comparing ourselves to everybody else. And, and even if we have LinkedIn, you know, so let's not, you know, just focus on Instagram or, or uh, Snapchat or Facebook. LinkedIn, you know, you look at the profiles of all your other colleagues and, and contemporaries in the fields that we're in. So even LinkedIn can contribute to this mindset that we compare what we know to be the, the less best part of ourselves, like our, you know, just who we are on a day-to-day -day basis. We compare that part of ourselves to the best part that other people put on social media. Uh, how many of us put our worst pictures out there on social media? We don't. And I I even used as a sermon illustration, and several of you challenged me to do it, and I frankly just didn't do it, and I'm going to own that because I am human and fall short of living into who God has created me to be, but there was this picture I showed in worship last week, and it's like the most horrible picture of me ever. We are in Uganda. It's the next to the last day, and we're standing there with the child that Scott Lane, Andrew, and I have sponsored for, you know, seven years. She's in secondary school now. She's, she wants to be a doctor. She's like at the top of her class, and it's this powerful life change story of how we've in, invested in her through West and through Williamson's Chapel and, and Acres of Hope and Pastor Jeffrey, and so I'm standing there like this in this ratty t-shirt, and I think I'd been awake for who knows how long and, and didn't feel really well, and, and Lane's standing there luckily with her back to me, so you know, the, the ugliness of the picture is really focused only on me, and, and my face is all screwed up like this. It's like in this contorted position because I was trying really hard not to cry. And, and Daphne, and, and truthfully, here's the real reason I'm not putting the picture on social media, although I really think you're not gonna believe this, but um, the real reason I'm not putting it out there is because Daphne is standing there like this. And, and if you look at the picture for uh, you know just a few seconds, which is what most of us do on social media, it looks like she's ashamed. And I, and I don't want to portray Daphne in any kind of negative manner. Now, that's the first reason. The second really close behind that reason is I just look stupid in the picture. I mean, it is about Daphne, but it's really about me too. So I'm just going to be honest with you. And um, Amy Coles, who was my mentor and friend and, and several of you too, said, you know, you just need to put the picture up there because it's about love. 
And I'm like, you know, yeah, it is. It is about love and how, you know, this, this church and other people are caring for these people half a world away and how, you know, they're, they're no longer dying of HIV and AIDS and, and there are over 200 kids that have hope and have life and all this kind of stuff. It's about love and it's about that. But there's no way I can describe that in a post so that when the trollers on social media are going like this and they see this picture of me going like this, they go, oh my gosh, look at her, she looks so bad. I care what I look like on social media, do you? If we're, if we're honest, we do care how we come across, even if it's not on social media to other people. Most of us care at some root level in our soul what other people think about us. And social media has just exacerbated that over the past several years. So now we live in this thing called the land of Ur. It's what we talked about several weeks ago. Uh, we want to be thinner, prettier, smarter, more handsome, um, more talented. It's, if you put an E-R on the end of, of words, we want to be that. Rarely are we satisfied with where we are. And then that feeds into that OCD, that obsessive comparison disorder where we go through our lives and we end up comparing ourselves to each other over and over again. And, and that leads to this thing that we talked about last week called FOMO, the fear of missing out. That is a legit word in today's culture. It's in the dictionary. And it says that it is an anxiety that is created by looking at what other people have or are doing. We get this FOMO. We get like this feeling that we're missing out on something. And, and so it becomes, you know, forefront in our minds. And that creates what we're going to talk about today called the scarcity effect. We end up going through our life with this thing called the scarcity effect, and we feel like we just never have enough. Now, there is a whole market in our world today, in our culture, not our world, because in the United States, uh, we're the ones with, it seems, this issue of like, there's this whole business of having storage units. Think about that for just a second. We have so much stuff that we hold on to so tightly that our garages are full, our outbuildings are full, and we end up investing in storage units because we have so much. Now, why do we have so much? Well, it's because we're afraid. We're afraid if we don't keep that, you know, third measuring cup. I mean, really, if we were to go home and look through our drawers and our closets and start looking at what we don't use and what we don't really need, every year in, you know, our faith tradition, we honor this season called Lent. It's the 40 days leading up to Easter, and it's supposed to be this time of self-reflection when we look in our lives, and we need to look at the, the things that are getting in the way of us being at one with love, at one with God, and, and you're supposed to give something, well, supposed to give something up or take something on that will make you closer to God, and I, you know, again, I am fully human. I just go on and own that. Even though I'm your pastor, I struggle with the same things you are. And so uh, I was trying to decide what I want to give up. And, and I always end up doing some kind of bargaining with God during this time. You know, well, if I do this, then this. And so I finally decided, okay, I'm going to give up some of my stuff. 
And I thought that was gonna be easy at first, you know, easier than food or, you know, a beverage or something like that or easier than taking on going to the gym. And uh, it ended up being way more difficult than I thought. I said, okay, I'm gonna give up 10 items a day. Now, I know how much junk I, because I'm gonna own this, because Scott is, does not suffer from FOMO like I do and the scarcity effect. I thought 10 items a day, I can get rid of that pretty easy, Right? I mean, I know if you open up drawers in our kitchen, they're just, there's a junk drawer. Do you have that? Do you have a drawer that you just cram stuff in? I thought, surely I could go through that and get rid of 10 things a day, easy. And I did until about day, uh, I think it was 29. And I still had 11 days, which was 110. Is that right? 110 items. I'm not up on my math today either. It got hard there at the end to start giving away things. Because guess what, I might need it. You know, we, we really had like four different one cup Pyrex glass measuring cups. Now that didn't count the plastic ones, just the glass ones. How many of those could I possibly use at one time because I am not a chef? Someone else could use those things far more than I could. But, but we live with this, this mindset and this fear that if we don't hold on to what we have, we're, we're, we don't know that we're going to have what we need moving forward. And do you know what that says? It says that we have absolutely no faith in God. Or if you don't worship God, don't believe in God, no faith in, in the universe or karma or anything like that, that you know, we're, we're not gonna have what we need, that we're just pretty much doomed. We've been dissed by this higher power and we are left to fend for ourselves. Now, odds are, if you're here with us this morning or you're listening online, that, you know, we don't really believe that at our core. You know, we believe that there's, there's something that holds it all together that, you know, is out for our advantage. But we don't live like that. Because we, we clasp onto so tightly that which we have, we can't do anything to move forward to live into who we are created to be. It's called the scarcity effect. It's not just with stuff either. It's with relationships. It's with all aspects of our lives. Have you ever known somebody or have you personally had like a really jealous friend or a jealous boyfriend or, or girlfriend? And, you know, they, they overanalyze everything you do and, and they end up holding on so tightly to you that they drive you nuts and they end up smothering you. That's that scarcity effect. They're afraid. They're afraid if they don't hold on to you so tightly that, that you're, going, you're going to escape them and, and they're going to be without that relationship. And you know what happens when someone starts to smother someone else in a relationship? It ends up driving the other person away. That's what happens in all areas of our lives when we hold on to things so tightly and we refuse to acknowledge and remember that we've been created in the image of God, in the image of love, and we've been created to be happy and to be at peace and to have joy. And that the whole thing of, of following God and following Jesus Christ is that we are going to have enough 
Even when we face the most difficult situations, even when, even when this life here on earth appears that it's going to come to an end, because it does, we are not, you know, infinite beings here on earth. Everything that we know and that we have right now, it's going to come to a physical end. But even in that, even in the darkest of times, if we will learn to let go of our fear, and learn to hold on to that power and that grace and that love that is so much bigger than we are, then we won't live into that scarcity effect and we will have this power and this peace and this joy that carries us through even our final days. Jesus knew that people struggled with this. They struggled with it back then, although they didn't have storage units like we do and, and uh so he told a story. It's how Jesus usually dealt with uh, people. And yeah, I'm old, so I have to wear cheaters now. I'll just go on and own that so you can stop analyzing while I have glasses on. Um, and I know you do that, so it's okay. I know you comment like on my shoes and my glasses and things like that. So I just like to go on and own that when we are getting ready to uh, make an important point. Get past all this and listen. I'm serious. I don't know why you think that's funny. I'm just real. It's about a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and he delegated responsibilities. Now to one guy, he gave $5,000, to another 2,000, and to a third guy, he gave 1,000, depending on their abilities. And then he departed. Now the first servant went to work and doubled the master's investment. The second did the same. So the guy with 2,000 went and worked and doubled that investment. The third guy, the one with the single thousand dollars, he dug a hole. He got a storage unit. And he carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of the three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him that he had doubled his investment and the master commanded him, good work, you did your job well now. From now on, you're gonna be my partner. Now the servant with the 2,000 showed him that he had also doubled his master's investment. The master committed him and said, good work, you did your job well. From now on, I want you to be my partner. The servant given 1,000 said, master, now listen. I know you've got some high standards and you hate carelessness and foolishness. You demand the best and you do not leave any room for error. So here's what I did. I was afraid I was going to disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place on 150 and I bought a storage unit. I secured your money. Here it is safe and sound down to the last cent. Now, the master was absolutely furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. Now, listen to that. It's criminal to live cautiously. If you knew that I was after the best, then why did you do less than the least? If you knew I was after the best, why would you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand, give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb, throw him out into the utter darkness. 
So scholars say that when Jesus was telling this story to the people, it was about the end days and, and the judgment. But then if you dig deeper, you know, like throw them out into the utter darkness, if you dig deeper, it really shows us how we're supposed to live right now. Jesus knew that they were afraid. He knew that they were just, they were playing it way too safe in their lives and they were living out of fear. So this, this whole parable, this whole story that he's telling the people that are hanging out with him, it's not about, you know, how much money they got. It's not about that they took the 5,000 and they doubled it to get 10 or they took two to get four. It's about the fact that they risked it all. They took all that they had and they went and they risked it and then look what happened. They got double their investment. But the one who was afraid, the one who was afraid that they weren't going to have what they needed and what they desired and, and they felt like there was nobody that had their back and there was nobody that was going to carry them through the dark times they took it and they buried it. They took it and put it in a storage unit and locked the door because they wanted to make sure that they still had it when they might need it. Now listen, do not hate me if you own a storage unit. For years as a church, we owned storage units because physical space was just not conducive to our being able to store things. And we really did actually need it. But my question for us this morning is, what are we holding on so tightly to that we do not need, that we're not, wi we're not willing to risk acting with what we have so that maybe we could experience life more fully? What are we not willing to give up so that we could see what happens when we live freely? What are we not willing to risk? We got to be willing to risk because look what happens when we do. Doubled. And the master, who apparently was not all that cool of a guy, I mean, I don't think the $1,000 guy, you know, is making up this stuff. You're a, you're a hard nose. You're a slave driver. He was afraid. I don't, I don't think that's, those are bogus words that Jesus just threw in there. I mean, the point is, they worked in less than desirable conditions. The master was, was hardcore. But the two didn't care. They didn't care how tough it was. They didn't care how difficult the situation was. They were willing to risk it to see what might be gained. And notice when the master came and gave them the money, he didn't lay out, you know, this expectation. He just said, here, go do something with it. He didn't say, I want you to double it. He didn't say, I want you to take it to the bank. And what does that mean for us? It means each of us in this room and worshiping online, you know, we've been given gifts, talents. This is actually called the parable of the talents and not like a America's Got Talent, where you go and you spin some plates on your heads or you do some really crazy talent thing. It, it means money. But it's called the parable of the talents. But extrapolate that on into today's culture. We have all been given way more than just some money. We've been given gifts. We've been given, you know, spirits of friendliness, 
so we can extend hospitality to others. You could go volunteer in the Serenity House or, or the Dove House or my sister's house or any one of numerous organizations here in our community and use our spirits of hospitality to make a difference in other people's lives. This is not just about money. We all have talents. Thank goodness those with musical gifts use them so that we can worship each Sunday. I mean, there's so many things both internally in a, in a faith community and externally in the community. We've all got gifts that we can use and let go of them so that the world will be a better place. And when we do that, when we let go and quit holding on so selfishly and so tightly to what we have, I promise you life is fuller and richer. I wish that we could go and, and interview one of the guys that the 56 youth and adults that got back uh, mid yesterday afternoon from a mission trip. I wish we could go interview this one gentleman that they worked with because I guarantee you he would be a testimony to this message. There was a gentleman, one of the five work sites that they worked with, he was in a wheelchair. He'd had a hunting accident and fallen out of a tree stand and was confined then to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Now, I don't know about you, but I would struggle with that. And, and I think I would also struggle with receiving help from others from out of town. And, and I believe, I, I don't know exactly the task that they were doing. It may have been painting or something, but uh, they were doing something with this man's house. And, and I think I might be embarrassed to need help. So I, I would have just stayed off to myself, but not this gentleman. I heard that he came and worked alongside them the whole time. That's not having a scarcity mindset. That is living into the opposite, which is what I would challenge us to do today, to live into the mindset of abundance. Okay, so maybe I can't walk. Or maybe I do have to have the help of, of people in, an, in our extended community. Maybe I need resources that I don't have. But I've got some things that I can do and can give. Let me go use them now. And that's what that man did. And that's the opposite of the scarcity effect. That's the attitude of living with an attitude of abundance. We may not have what we want and we may not think we have what it will take to make us happy. But maybe we need to take a step back and maybe we need to look at what we do have. Maybe we need to make a gratitude list. Maybe we need to acknowledge that while we don't have this or we're not that, here is who we are and here is what we have. And, and then look at how we can use it and let it go. It is when we let it go that we find that we are most full. If you talk to anybody who does, you'll, you'll hear testimony to that. I want you to take a look at this video by someone who actually lived it out. Take a look. I began to experience some pretty sharp pain in my wisdom teeth and my jaw. Spoiler alert, it was not just toothache. My dentist took some x-rays of the jaw which showed a large mass on one side, but he didn't know what it was. My health deteriorated even further. I lost feeling in the lower half of my face and I got into bed one night and I didn't get out the next day. I had never felt so sick in my whole life. In rather spectacular and dramatic fashion, I started throwing up blood on my mum's carpet for maximum kind of horror movie gore style effect. The series of tests and procedures began. A diagnosis was reached. 
I was told that I had stage four Burkitt's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, presenting the most aggressive form of cancer in the world. I was given two to three weeks to live without treatment and not necessarily a guarantee of life either way. Believe me, I was never going to be the kid that got cancer, but it turns out that I was. And apparently the cancer was now doubling in size every 48 hours. So where do you go from there? You're 18 years old and you're told that you could die within weeks. You are told that everything you'd been promised since you were a child, the house, the family, the job, might never be yours. You're told that the next months, the laughs, the parties, the classes, the times with your friends, they will never happen because you will be in a hospital bed fighting for your life. You're told that everything that you assumed would always be yours, the things which your foundation is built upon. The times with your family, the embrace of your girlfriend, or the sunrise on your face might not be yours to feel any longer. You're told that your time is up. If not the time that was your life, then the time when you had it easy. Or when you look into the eyes of your parents and you realise that they are dying just as much as you are from this. Now you are in an arena fighting the biggest battle you will ever fight for the greatest prize that there is. Many enter that arena every day, but there is a limited number of spaces available on the other side. Not everyone will make it through. I did not pray to live. Instead, I asked that if this was going to be the thing that killed me, that I faced it with strength. If it was going to kill me, it would do it on my terms, and I would not die a coward, not wanting to let fear dictate my death any more than it had dictated my life. But no, no way, there was not a chance in hell that I was going to die of this. Along the way, I learned some pretty good lessons. Embrace each day. I was dying to get home from school. I was dying for the weekends. I was dying for the school holidays. And then before I knew it, I was dying in Christchurch Hospital. And I know now how important it is to make the most of it while you can. Live each day with passion and pride to your very fullest, because you are able to. Every morning that I wake up, I know that I am on borrowed time. Every day that I live is another one longer than I was supposed to, and that spurs me on. However, the most important thing that this has taught me is to take each day at a time. Taking everything day by day allows you to focus on the now and really appreciate life. And tied in with that is the ability to find the little bits of light in the darkness, because sometimes they will be all that you have left. Yes, I might have a spinal injection of chemo today, but there's something good on TV tonight. Yes, I might have my head in a sick bucket right now, but I'll never feel this sick again in my life. Yes, it's happening to me, but it's not happening to anyone I love. It's something I remind myself of each day, and it makes every day that little bit better. But the thing that people are really prone to doing is to spending time on feeling sorry for people whose situations they cannot change. And there's no point in that. What you really need to do is be grateful for the people in your life and for your ability to live that normal life. There's no excuse to not appreciate life fully. You owe it to the people that are unable to. You owe it to them to do them that service, to go out and do your best. And what a fantastic way to start each day. of us are dying to the life that we've been created to live because we are dying to get to that next thing, to achieve that one next goal or to have that one more thing or to get our relationship to some next level. 
that we're dying to get there. And we're focused so hard on being there that we are missing where we are right now. What if we are willing to live into a mindset of abundance? And what if instead of, you know, scrolling and looking at what everybody else has and then letting that create in us that FOMO, that fear of missing out, what if we live into this by, and here's how we do it, by celebrating what others have. Celebrating the good that, that is ex- they are experiencing instead of letting it create in us little uh, pings of jealousy. That's the first way that we live into a mindset of abundance. We quit feeling like we're missing out and we learn to celebrate and love what others have and are and will be. And the second thing is we look at what we've got in our own lives. We look at who we've been created to be and we leverage that. You know, this is a theme of of following Jesus. He did. He leveraged all he had to show us what it meant to be at one with God and to have perfect peace. So this is not a theme that is new to being spoken here at West. And and many years ago, I, I did a sermon with the same you know, mindset and and point. And after worship, uh, someone came up to me and said, I'm quitting my job. I was like, that's not exactly what I wanted the takeaway to be from today. But they were like, no, really, I'm, I'm quitting my job. I've been struggling with this for a while. This was like five, six years ago. They did. Now, I prayed for them a lot after that because I'm like, if this, you know, really fails, then, uh Six, seven years later, they're so happy. And they have a a new career and, and they are living into that. They had been wrestling with that. And the reason that they were staying in that job is because it was lucrative, very lucrative. And they were afraid of giving up that level of comfort and money. But they knew that they were being called to to do something else, and they did, and guess what? They may not have, a, you know, two storage units. May, they may only have one now, but they're happy. Leverage what we have and leverage the talents and the gifts that we've been given to make the world a better place. When we do that, we will find, I promise, a joy and a peace that won't come from using social media as a mirror. It comes from within, and it comes from God. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have created each of us in your image, and you have given us each talents and gifts that we can share and use for you. I just ask that this morning you reveal to each of us what it is that we have in our lives that we need to let go of, so that we can fully embrace the life that you have created for us. Give us the courage to take risk and give us the courage to make investments so that this world can be a better place, but so that we can live at one with you. In Christ's name we pray.
So I have to make a confession. I live in preacher world, remember? That's like my realm of existence. And so last Sunday, I really had some fear that I had totally killed the church with my lack of good preaching. I think we all could have fit in my living room last Sunday. Now, this week, a preacher friend of mine called, and apparently, you know, summer attendance is always down. He goes, hey, let me ask you a question. Um, You know, are y'all packing it out so much on Sunday mornings that you have to bring more chairs in? And I knew he was being sarcastic because we all experience the same things in summer. I said, yes. I said, in fact, they're going to give me an award because our attendance is so high on Sunday mornings in the summer. And we started laughing and, and we were just, you know, commiserating a little. And so number one, I'm really glad you're back. So let me say that. And number two, um, then we were talking and I said, you know, well, when you have 56 people on a mission trip, it really hurts, you know, how many butts are in a seat out there. And uh, he said, you have 56 people on a mission trip? like, well, yeah. He goes, wow, did you hear that? And so for the rest of my week in preacher world, I quit commiserating that all 650 seats weren't full on Sunday morning. And I started looking at all the things that as a faith community you do, like in 13 days, spearhead a movement. So 1,500 kids get school supplies and tennis shoes. That's a 50,000 plus endeavor. We're not quite there yet. But you do it with courage and with boldness and with risk. Why is it that we're willing to risk things as a church, but maybe not individually? This week, quit holding on to what you think you might need. Let it go and live with courage and take risk because it is then that we will be filled. God is always enough, I promise. Go in that peace and that love. Amen.